eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Houston, we have a podcast. You're listening to the Premier Rockets podcast. It's H-Town Hoops. Hosted by Brandon Scott and Adam Spolane. All right, it's H-Town Hoops Podcast. Brandon Scott and Adam Spillane here. Austin Mendez is producing this thing for us behind the scenes. And the last time we talked to you guys, there were two games left in the season. Those games have been completed. And more importantly, though, the news of the day and the news of the moment is the Steven Silas firing or the non-renewal of the contract or however exactly you want to put it. But, but obviously, Steven Silas will not be back. That is the news of the day. Uh, we anticipated this. We have been anticipating this for a while. Um, there, there are even reports out there, Adam, that and and I, I think we've heard this before, but there are reports out there that there have been other moments where Stephen Silas's job has been in jeopardy. And so, just the fact that you know he didn't have uh, any more guaranteed years left on this contract, this is the end of the contract, um, makes it not all that surprising given how things have gone, but. Want to get your initial reactions to to the news of, of Steven Silas's firing and what this exactly means for the Rockets, aside from the fact that they'll have a new coach? Uh, it, it's not a surprise at all. Obviously, we we knew this was coming. We've known, like you said, we've known this has been coming really for months. Uh, really, you can even go back to to the start of to the start of the season when Steven Silas had an option on his contract for next year. If the Rockets were like seriously interested in having him be the head coach for the future that option would have been picked up because it's not like anything that happened this season was a surprise. They knew they were not going to win basketball games. And so uh, for them to, to, to do this today, it's not, it, this was to be expected. Um, we'll, we'll get into a lot of it. I'm sure as this show goes on, but now I, I was a little surprised that <laughs> it started to leak as the final buzzer in Washington sounded. I thought maybe we would get a couple hours, but uh, it, it made for kind of an awkward, just, I wasn't there, but just watching his post-game press conference uh, after the game on, on Sunday, that made for kind of a rough watch just because the people in that room knew what the deal was. I'm sure he knew that reports had already started to trickle in. Um, so it, it's unfortunate that it kind of happened that way, but we all knew it was going to happen. Well, to be fair though, also Adam, he had addressed this himself kind of head on. I, mm-hmm. I wouldn't say like by by specifically saying, hey, I know I won't be back, but the entire tone of the pregame press conference of the last home game of the season, I believe it was last week, was basically centered around that, the idea that, hey, this is the end of the contract and we haven't really talked about me coming back, which, you know, is normally the writing on the wall. So it did seem like we had sort of this, you know, or at least that he had an idea like he wasn't it's not like we think that he was blindsided by it or anything like that the timing of it and the sort of the optics of it is is probably its own thing though and 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 i wonder how much of that is just ambition everybody knowing what's going to happen and then just wanting to kind of be in front of everything 
Yeah, but the unfortunate, I mean, it's still your job until somebody tells you it's not your job. Yeah. And I imagine that he would like to have been told by Rafael Stone or by the Fertitas before it had been leaked to basically every major news outlet in the country. So, yeah, I, yeah, yeah because, of, because also along with the news, right, Adam, along with the news is that, like, not just leaking that he won't be back, but they'll also be meeting on Monday to Which tell him. Yeah, yeah. And, and, but we're reporting and telling this to you on Sunday. You know, so it I, I I definitely get it, even though we all kind of understand that this is what the situation is. But, yeah, I, I wanted to I, I just wanted to make the point about Stephen Silas. Like, you know, I think you and I were talking about this at the studios at, at the Sports Radio 610 studios the other day. Like, you know, it's kind of unfortunate for Stephen Silas, even though I, I don't think that he. Like, I, I think it's fair to say that he underperformed in this job, but I don't know. I, like I don't, I don't really know how you could have succeeded in a situation like this necessarily. Um, like I don't come away from this thinking that you know Stephen Silas is a bad coach, um, and, and I do acknowledge that he ended up in a very difficult and I would say different situation from the one that he signed up for, which is I think to coach James Harden and Russell Westbrook. Uh, but he also didn't really seem to maximize what they really had or. Or, or maybe if that's not the better way to put it, I would say maybe really capture the team's attention with like a vision and a purpose. They just so oftentimes it seemed like this was a team that played aimlessly. And I would say that when a when a team looks and plays like it's poorly coached, you don't get to absolve the coach, even if the situation is not entirely the coach's fault, you know. And, and so that's one of the hard parts about coaching. And I think that's a. That's something that Steven Silas ran in ran into here is he, even though he's going to leave here with his reputation intact and that people around the league are still going to going to respect him. I think this is one of those situations where it was just really kind of hard to succeed. And he also wasn't really the right fit. Well, he coached the way I think he thought that you should best run an NBA team. And that's to play free flowing. Let the players kind of run the show and you help out where you need to, because that's what the NBA is. The NBA is about the players. It's not about the coaches. You can't overcoach in the NBA. This isn't college where the coaches are calling a set every single time down the floor and they're calling a million timeouts at the end of games. Like and they're subbing guys in and out every 30 seconds. That's not how that's not how the NBA works. You let guys play, you let them play to their best abilities. And and I remember when he first got the job, this was I think this was in the preseason of his first year. Somebody asked him, like, are you the type of coach? Do you call a lot of plays? Or do you just let guys kind of go? And his answer to that was, if I'm calling plays, it means we're not playing the right way. It means that we're getting bogged down and I'm having to bail us out with play calls. And so that was his whole thing. If you see guys looking over towards the sideline when we're on offense, that means things aren't going well. Now, for a veteran team, that I think that works 100%. When it's James Harden running your offense, that works. I, I do think that a younger group, especially a group that really didn't have a point guard. Like you could have, you could run that type of an offense with John Wall. But when you have a group that really doesn't have a point guard who has played the position before, you probably need to be a little bit more hands-on and you probably need to be a little bit more controlling. But I do think that he coached the way that he felt like you needed to coach. And I think that in a sense, he felt like he was setting these young guys up for success in the future by basically saying, hey, I'm taking the training wheels off throw on a helmet and ride the bike. I think that's kind of what he aimed for. Did it work, you know, this season? Did it did it turn into a good offense? No, it turned into one of the worst offenses in the league over the last couple of years. But that's the way that he went at it. And, and I think when when you have when you get one of these jobs, you have to do it your way. You have to be true to yourself because if you don't, if you try to be someone else, then the players see right through it. If you try to coach a different way than the way you were brought up or the way that you believe in, then you leave the job having all sorts of regrets because you did not do it your way. So I think that as Steven Silas looks back on his time as the Rockets head coach, he can say, I did it my way. It didn't work out, but you know what? I did it the way that I felt it should have been done. I have no regrets for that. If I ever get the opportunity to do it again, I would do it the exact same way. And I have a great deal of respect for that. Yeah, and I think that, or at least I, I, I want to acknowledge that, that it feels like a, a conflict here or, or, or a clash of intentions when you have a coach who has the state of philosophy or, or approach that you just described. But then within that, you know, right as you're, you're starting at, 
you go into it with uh, an experiment at, at, at point guard. And I don't want to, this is not to disparage Kevin Porter Jr., who we have said multiple times on this podcast has been their best player this year. This is not a shot at Kevin Porter Jr. But imagine the difficulty in wanting to coach, wanting your coaching style to be free-flowing, but then you have a first-time point guard or first-time NBA point guard that is supposed to be managing plays for you or managing the offense for you like it just like those things just to me do not do not mesh they they conflict and and you know and and i, I feel like the team was reflective of that of, of not having a lot of or at least not always having a lot of direction and vision uh you had a coach whose approach was the way you just described it wanting the players to kind of figure things out and, and to play things out but also a uh, you know, a team that that lacked a natural playmaking point guard and, and somebody uh, and, and and not just the point guard part, but also just young players overall, like everybody out there is young and, and not knowing what to do. So uh, so I, I feel like it was a tough situation to begin with. OK, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Um, do you think, do you think Adam, that there's anything that Silas could have done to have saved his job? And we're only going through this now because it's, you know, we're, we're going to move on eventually and, and talk about the future. But just while we're on it, is there anything that he could have done in a situation like this to have saved his job? Or is this was this sort of transition, whoever the coach was going to be, kind of seemed like maybe set up to fail? No, I don't think so. I, I've, I've kind of wondered that myself. Um, I just they knew what they were going to be. And when you have Rafael Stone telling people within the organization that it's a miracle if we get to 25 wins this year then what's the coach supposed to do? Like if, if, if he gets to 26 wins, are we, are we throwing him a parade in, in, in extending the contract at that point? Uh, everything I know, it sounded like um, the, the uh, you know, they started off the season two and 12, but I don't think as an organization, they were disappointed by the two and 12 because they started, it was such a brutal schedule to start the year where they're starting. I think they played 10 of their first 13 games on the road. They were playing against really good teams to start. I mean, that's impossible. For, for a group that's this young to succeed under those circumstances. So they start the year two and 12, but then they had that really good stretch uh, right around Thanksgiving where they beat uh, Atlanta and Oklahoma city on a back-to-back. They got, they, they beat Phoenix a couple of times. They beat the Sixers. It was they around the time. Them. It was around the time we started the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so they're, they're sitting at nine and 18. I got, they, they're starting at nine and 18 in the middle of December. And they'd actually won like, I think it was like eight of 20 games, which again, not great. You're not like, you know, hanging banners for that, but where you consider where this team has been, that's pretty damn good. But then there was the stretch middle of December, really up until the all-star break where they just, they just piled up losses. And so I'm trying to do this math in my head, which never goes well. They were nine and 18 after beating Phoenix on December 13th. Uh, They basically from that point until um, March 4th, when they won that back-to-back against Memphis, they were 13 and 49. So I just said nine and 18, they were 13 and 49. So that's what four and 31. Does that sound right? Yeah. So they, so they won four out of 35 games from that point on. And so that was it from there. And I think that by that point, I know he had lost Tillman Fertitta. I think Tillman Fertitta was probably done with Silas long ago but they just let him kind of hang on the rest of the season. I don't think they thought we've talked about this. I don't think they thought there was any point to making a coaching change during the season. So that stretch, that four and 35 stretch from the middle of December through the end of February is basically where I think that if he was going to save his job, they would have had a little bit more success during that stretch, but that basically sealed his fate. Though I, I do think that they had kind of decided long ago that he was not going to be the coach for them moving forward. Yeah, I'm with you there. I think that's that's pretty clear. Um, the, I know the story they published in the Athletic today mentioned that you know they by the time uh, you know we all remember that his father passed in December. By the time that that had happened, it seemed like 
they had decided that they were going to keep him throughout the season, or at least that's according to the athletic um, earlier on Sunday in a report. But I, I just feel like there's, there's nothing that, you know, it was always going to be that this was going to be kind of the, the 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 fall guy maybe if that's the right way to put it um, yeah somebody had to take the hit yeah somebody they had lose, to... they they lose they, they lost 60 games in back-to-back seasons had they played 82 games that first year they would have lost 60 games then too so you know you can't just bring the whole brain trust back after losing essentially having three straight 60 lost seasons that's how it is that's the business yeah yeah and and, and never mind never mind the fact that <laughs> You know, I, I mentioned the whole point guard thing about Kevin Porter Jr., but also pointing out it's not just you got a guy trying to learn how to play point guard, but you got a lot of players, and we've mentioned this before, young players trying to learn how to play in the NBA just in general. But then they were without said point guard and their best player for 20 games throughout mm-hmm. the year. You know, it just it just seems like a really, really bad deal. I, I wonder, I honestly wonder uh, if, if we could, if I could inject truth serum into Steven Silas just for a moment, just to just to know, hey, are you are you actually relieved? You know, there's got to be a lot, a, a great deal of relief, even though there's probably some level of uh, and I know he said he was proud of everything whenever he talked to, to the media. But there's got to be some level of, you know, wishing that this did not go this way exactly. But I also wonder if he's relieved to not have to. You know, since he is the fall guy to not have to deal with the fall anymore now that now that it's over. But I also find, like, I don't think there's anything he could have done to save his job, Adam, but I also find it a little bit, I don't know if ironic is the right word that I'm looking for, but interesting at least that, you know, the team that they're looking to become very soon is a team that he probably could coach a lot better. Mm -hmm. Like one that's, like, let's take, you know, dream hypothetical for Rockets fan. Let's just dream for a second here. Let's say they get Victor Wimbledon or even Scoop. You know, who are, let, let's say they get a guy that you really like. Name that guy, whoever you are, fan, and fantasize for a second. Let's say they get that guy, and Jalen Green is in year three. Jabari Smith is in year two. Alfred Shingoon is in year three. Kevin Porter Jr. Ha- has evolved and developed as, the, as a player. And you insert Steven Silas into a situation like that, and I feel like he does a lot better. I feel like the one that he could potentially – have gotten or have been in this coming year is one that he would have potential in thriving in. It's just something that we obviously will never know and and won't get the answer to. But it's funny to me that the job that he probably is more cut out for is the one that's about to open up. Well, that's why I think that he is probably not relieved. And I think that he's probably incredibly disappointed as he, you know, sits here on this Sunday night, because I do think that he, and you could see it towards the end of the year. I mean, you could see just the talent and he, you know, he had to do the, I guess the real heavy lifting of trying to nurse this group through and he doesn't get to see the other side of it. And so I think that, you know, whoever steps into this job um, is walking into what is a pretty good job. And what you're, you're walking into a great deal of talent. Uh, you're walking that's already on the roster you're walking into a team that has 60 million dollars in cap space you're walking into a team that has a 50 50 chance of landing a a top four pick in the draft i mean that's that's a really good job uh and so uh, i think that he is probably really bummed out because this was his chance and i think that had he been given another year another two years then you're looking at a completely different situation if he would not have taken this job let's say he stays in dallas or, you know, let, let's say he just stays in the assistant role with another team and this job becomes open. Let me tell you something. Who's the first guy that's probably getting interviewed for this job? It's probably Steven Silas. And now all of a sudden this job is, looks a whole lot better today than it did when he first took it. So, I mean, it's life is so much about timing. Um, he got the timing wrong on this one. You know, he was a finalist for, for the Rockets job when they hired Mike D'Antoni. Had he taken over as James Harden is in the middle of his prime and happy in Houston and they had all that cap space and, you know, his career might look a whole lot different than it does today. So, I mean, timing really is everything. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
All right, man, you named a couple of possible candidates, potential candidates for Steven Silas's replacement as the Rockets' head coach. You mentioned that the Rockets plan to swing for a big name, and the names that you mentioned were Nick Nurse, who we all know, obviously, uh, won a championship with the Toronto Raptors. If he becomes available, somebody that they could be interested in. Kenny Atkinson, um, of course, used to coach the Brooklyn Nets several years ago um and you mentioned frank vogel recently won a championship with the los angeles lakers used to coach the indiana the the indiana pacers a while ago and Ime adoka uh formerly of the well <laughs> formerly of the boston of the boston celtics as we know but also a, a really good and, and acclaimed assistant coach uh at with the with the brooklyn nets um, there's some other stuff going on there that that I, I that I don't know exactly how that factors in, but he's obviously in the market and uh, and Scott Brooks of of Rockets fame, Scott Brooks, but uh, uh you know former OKC Thunder coach and uh, what is he Portland Trailblazers assistant in Portland now he's with Washington. Where's where he? Where's he now? Portland. Portland. Portland now, but also yeah, Coach Washington, uh, coached OKC. Um, so those are the potential Silas replacements. Handicap these things. What what are you? What are you hearing? What do you think about potential fits? Uh, what's your initial read on sort of the coaching pool, candidacy pool we got here? So it sounds like Udoka and Atkinson are probably unlikely. I think the Rockets would like them, but I don't think either one seems to be all that likely. I think Udoka might have his eyes set on another job if it were to become open. And then Atkinson seems to be very happy in Golden State. His family really likes it out there. And remember, he was hired initially by the Hornets last spring, and then he walked away from that job right after the Warriors won the championship. So it sounds like, and he, it, it kind of feels like he's almost waiting out Steve Kerr to step down. And let's keep this in mind with the Warriors. Their GM, Bob Myers, does not have a contract for next season. Again, it seems like if, if he were going to stay there as the GM of the Warriors, he would have a new contract by this point. So he could go anywhere in, in this offseason. And if he does, maybe Steve Kerr decides to step down from coaching, move into the front office. Remember, he ran basketball ops for the, uh, for the Phoenix Suns about uh, 10, 15 years ago. And then maybe Atkinson just slides over into that head coach role. So maybe that's what he's waiting for. Um, so it seems like those two are probably not likely to uh, to get the Rockets job. Um, we'll see about Nurse. Uh, you know, if, if he leaves Toronto, the one thing with with uh, with Nurse, he's making you know, more than eight million dollars a year, and he's going to want to get paid if he leaves that job uh, to go take another one. And we'll have to wait and see if the Rockets are interested in paying that sort of a price tag. So that kind of leaves you with Vogel and it leaves you with Brooks. Vogel is a guy, and I've always thought this, I've always thought that Tillman Fertitta wants to go into a press conference, hiring a head coach and be able to say the words, we have a championship head coach. And that's what Frank Vogel is. There are not a whole lot of those that are out there, especially guys that are out there on the market. Vogel would be a guy that you can say this guy has won a championship as an NBA head coach. The Rockets, you know, Mike D'Antoni didn't have that. Steven Silas didn't have that. Jeff Van Gundy did not have that years ago. Same with Rick Adelman, if you want to go back further. So that's one of those things where I think that if you're Tillman, and they, they want to be better defensively, obviously. Uh, Frank Vogel's teams have always been good defensively. And then there's Brooks. Brooks is the interesting one, and that's the name that really started to emerge uh, just in the last few days. And what's interesting about Brooks is in, I know the track record recently has not been great, did not have a great finish in Oklahoma City. They had mixed results in Washington. Some of that was more circumstance with that team just getting old and getting injured. But where did Scott Brooks really make his name as a head coach? It was in Oklahoma City, and it was essentially around the same time, the same timeline that the Thunder were on is what the Rockets are in right now. And Brooks took over, essentially, you know, you had the first year of Kevin Durant. That was with P.J. Carlissimo as uh, the then Sonics head coach. Carlissimo went with them to Oklahoma City. They draft Russell Westbrook, so they had two top three, top four picks. Um, and then Carlissimo didn't even make it, you know, to Christmas of that second year. Brooks took over. 
They had a nice run towards the end of that season. They finished with the third pick. They draft James Harden. And then a couple years later, they're in the finals. So that's kind of the trajectory that Oklahoma City was on. And listen, it's it's taking a big leap to put the Rockets in that same mix. I don't know if anyone believes they have a Kevin Durant or a, or a Russell Westbrook on the roster at this point. But that's kind of the trajectory that you can take with the Rockets. And Scott Brooks is, uh, is a head coach. He's experienced that. He understands how you build an organization really from the bottom up. So that's why you can kind of, you know, say that Scott Brooks would make some sense with where they're at. Well, well, they don't have a Kevin Durant and they don't have a Russell Westbrook, but they are going to be pursuing a James Harden. And you mentioned the overlap. Yeah. I was going to say, you mentioned the overlap. There is a, there is a, at least a relation, some sort of working relationship and knowledge of each other, right? The previous working relationship, obviously coached them. Right. So, so there is that to, to keep in mind. Yeah, for sure. And um, you're looking for stability. Like that's what you're looking for with this group right now is you're looking for stability. You're looking for some sort of a stable influence. And it feels like, and Brooks has been that guy in the past. Is is Scott Brooks a great head coach? Is Scott Brooks a championship level head coach? Probably not. But the Rockets aren't really looking for a championship level head coach. They're just looking to be competitive. They're not looking to win 60 games and win, you know, 16 playoff games. They're looking to just get into the playoffs and maybe win 40 games in a year because it's been a while since that's happened. All right. Speaking of former Rockets who are coaches and James Harden, for that matter, you mentioned you threw this out there, Sam Cassell. And I think a lot of people with Houston ties and that are familiar with Rockets history and familiar with Sam Cassell's journey as a coach as well could look at this and see how it could also make sense as somewhat of a dark horse or at least something that, you know, deserves a look. Um, you mentioned Kevin, uh, I'm sorry, you mentioned Sam Cassell uh, on, on Twitter. And, you know, this, I, I think it's just a, con- a good conversation piece. What do you, what do you think of that as an idea, as a fit, as a possibility? Uh, what's your read on it? You know, when you make one coaching change, you usually are looking for someone who's kind of the opposite of the last guy. And so the Rockets hired somebody without any head coaching experience the last time around with Silas. So I find it somewhat unlikely that they would look to hire someone without head coach experience again. But they did interview Cassell the last time around. And that's one of the things that I always tend to look at is, all right, who did you interview the last time? Because a lot of times you can go back to that guy. And we just saw it with the Rockets where Steven Silas was a finalist when they hired Mike D'Antoni. They just went back to Silas the next time. So you kind of look at the list of guys that they interviewed and Cassell was on that list. Cassell has been an assistant now for a really long time. He's worked under doc rivers for probably almost a decade and he's done it at multiple stops. He coached under him in LA. He's now coaching under him in Philly. Um, he kind of uh, molds the past and, and the future uh, with the Rockets, having been you know part of the two championship teams, having now been away. He's been away from the organization now for almost thirty years. He got traded, in, or not? I guess it's now you know what twenty five years. He got traded in uh, in nineteen ninety six. Yeah, That's it's, how it's, a, it's, it's, it's approaching thirty minute. years. Yeah, yeah, it, it's been a minute, but again, he has that history. He's he's paid his dues as an assistant coach, which I do think matters, um, and. He's got a some sort of I, I don't know how strong the relationship is with James Harden, but, you know, those two having worked together now for a season and a half, that might matter as well. So if you were if you were going to hire a first time head coach in this cycle, if you're the Rockets, then Cassell would be that type of a guy. Yeah, I, obviously everything you just mentioned, but I, I would just say like the the James Harden thing is just on top of it. I feel like Sam Cassell could coach these guys. Like I, I do feel like he could get their attention that he could, um, you know, and you talk about helping a young point guard and Kevin Porter Jr. Or if they were to draft one, if they were to draft somebody like Scoot, you know, like if, and even a, a Victor, like any young player, I feel like could benefit from being around Sam Cassell. And I'm not going to pretend to know Sam Cassell very well, but I can remember being around him as a little kid at Fondy Rec Center at the Fondy Rec Center uh, in Houston. And he just seemed to always have a way with people, always have sort of a presence about him. Um, and, and I don't know if it translates to necessarily to NBA head coach. As you mentioned, he's had a long history now as an assistant coach. But to me, he feels like the person that has the right background, the right working level of knowledge of of the game on, on top of sort of the right temperament to to deal with a young team. I I feel like, and I'm not 
campaigning for them to coach Sam Cassell, but the the bit that I know about him feels like he's a good personality fit on top of the qualifications on it. So to me, he's an interesting name for, for those reasons. He's he's someone that I'm at least interviewing. Um, he he was in he was an assistant in Washington for four seasons, and from 2014 through today, he's been you know he's worked under Doc Rivers. That's you know Doc Rivers is a Hall of Fame level head coach, so he's been learning from a Hall of Fame level head coach now for for a good portion of time. So um, he's earned it. He's earned the opportunity. I think that if you're the Rockets, you at least give him give him an interview. I think that he's he's earned that. And you know if you feel like you you want someone with head coaching experience, I get it. It's a totally logical uh, you know qualification that you want or a requirement that you want for this job. But if you were going to go in a different direction, go for an inexperienced option, I think he would be at the top of the list. You've also seen Adrian Griffin, who's been at the top of a lot of head coach searches now uh, for the last four years or the last few years. So um, there are going to be a lot of good there are going to be a lot of good names out there. Uh, There always are. It's just a matter of can they find the right guy? Can they find the right, you know, the right mix um, who can really connect with this young group that they have? Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to do's, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I mentioned earlier Steven Silas being a scapegoat a bit in this whole situation with the Rockets being as bad as they have been the past three seasons, the three seasons that he's been the head coach. But I feel like the focus, though, does have to shift now or, or obviously shifts now that they're going to have a new head coach and Steven Silas is no longer going to be there. And Rafael Stone has been around now just as long, you know, for the same amount, for essentially the same amount of time as Steven Silas for the most part here, uh, where obviously he's going to still be around um, yeah. for, at, at the very least for this draft and this offseason, he's going to shepherd all of that. So, so it's not a conversation about that in terms of when I asked the question where he stands, but overall, where does he stand? How much pressure is on on the Rockets general manager to get this offseason right, whether it be, like, I guess, the, the entire thing, free agency and, and the draft and all of it, and get this thing kind of in some sort of direction? Well, I think we could probably – he's on basically the clock. We could, said, we could say this about Nick Casario right now. The clock starts now, and yeah. the, clock is, the clock is now ticking on Rafael Stone and, you know, this is now his it's his rebuild. Yeah, I, I don't think that I think that he's been fine as the Rockets GM. Um, you can quibble with the with a thing here, a thing there. You can say they didn't get enough for James Harden. His options were limited. They were gonna send Harden someplace that he wanted to go to. Maybe that helps them get Harden back because they did that. They didn't completely poison the relationship. Um, you can say that, hey, maybe the Daniel Tice free agent signing was a bad decision. Well, I mean, they cleaned their hands of that pretty quickly. Uh, you can say they didn't get enough for PJ Tucker, or Eric Gordon, or Victor Oladipo, you know, whatever. You can quibble with little things. But I think the big stuff so far, he's done fine on. The, the big stuff are the draft picks. And they took Jalen Green second overall. I think as we finish year two, that's a good pick. Will there be better guys in that draft class? Maybe, but you're not, you're just looking to get a great player. And I think that Jalen Green has that in him. Um, they went in, they got Alperin Shingun. That's a really good pick, you know, for whatever, you know, flaws Shingun might have to get him with the, what, 16th pick in the draft. And they traded a couple of, uh, of protected picks in order to make that happen. Whatever you take the talent, the talent appears to be there. Um, the the 2022 draft, the third pick, Jabari Smith Jr. is going to be a really good player. They got that one right. Um, the the 20, the 17th pick, Tari Eason, they got that one right. He's going to be a really good player. He's got a chance to make all rookie uh, this season. That stuff they he's done really well at. They've, they've been able to use some of their other resources, whether it is finding Jay Sean Tate on the, you know, a, a, as a free agent in Australia. That turned out to be a really good move. The KJ Martin trade, that's a great pickup to get somebody like that with the 52nd pick in the draft. And if we do a redraft of that 2020 draft right now, KJ Martin is, is a top 10 pick easily. 
So he's done a good job there. They've cleaned up the cap. They have $60 million in cap space. That's a credit to Rafael Stone. Again, that's part of the Harden trade also. You know, they could have taken back Ben Simmons. That obviously would have been a huge mistake, but they have all this cap space because they essentially just went for the draft picks. So has Rafael Stone been perfect? No, of course not. Nobody is in these jobs, but his main goal, once they decided to move on from Harden and in that era, was to acquire young talent. They've done that, and it was to clean up their cap sheet. They've done that as well. Now, the hard part, and this is where he's going to be judged, and this is where the clock really starts, you've got to start putting together a team that can actually win games. If they win 20-something games again next year, that's it. They're going to pull the court on him in all likelihood. But if they can make incremental progress, then that's where, then that's going to be the key for him. So he he's in a good position because there is a lot of young talent on this roster. But now, can he turn that young talent into a basketball team that can win games? that ultimately will be where he's judged this time next year. Yeah, it, it feels like, and stay with me here, it feels like he's gotten the math and science part of it well, done the math and science part of it pretty well so far in these three years, or at least decent. And I've talked before on the podcast about really loving what he's done in the middle of the first round with Alper Shingun at 16. I know he traded up to get him, but to get him at 16 the year before, and then Tari Eason at 17, eight, was it 17 or 18? 17. 17. Getting Tari Eason at 17, the, you know, this this past year. I thought, like, I really liked what he did in the middle. And then, of course, uh, Jalen Green. Like, I, I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm not going to try to make it seem like it was obvious to draft Jalen Green over Evan Mo- or, you know, over Mobley. I know you were a Mobley guy, um, and Mobley's been excellent. But I, I feel like he's done – the I don't want to call it easy, but just the formulaic. Hey, draft the top players at the you know benefit from being bad. Draft the top players at the top of the draft. Benefit from uh you know from the James Harden trade and all of that. Uh, and now this is the, the part that he's about to do now is the more art artsy part. You know, like putting together like you said the hard part. Like to me, it's harder to figure out. And Daryl Moore is a you know, really good general manager, but it was always like, th- there's always a, th- to be this challenge of figuring out like which people can, can come together and make a team, you know, aside from just talent, but how, how to actually make a team, um, uh, you know, aside from talent accumulation, they've done the math and science part of it is just f- finding out the talented players and accumulating them. And they've done that. So, um, so that, that part of it is, is, is cool for them. And I know that they're hoping, they're praying for Victor. To me, that's like the eraser. That changes everything. That forgives all sins, you know. And, and we talked earlier about Silas. Is he uh, was he relieved, or is he probably bitter or upset about it? And you're probably right. I'd probably side with you. I just, you know, I thought it was interesting to think about as a headache that he's kind of had to deal with over the last few years. But my goodness, man, if they were to get one of these two players at the top of the draft, or really. I mean, there's a few players that they could get that could really change this team. Um, um, yeah, I just I could just only imagine what that's going to feel like and kind of watch. But you know, I I I don't feel like with Stone. I, I think it's just like, like you just got to acknowledge that a general manager is on a different timeline than a coach, and and that's in most sports. That's in pr- pretty much all sports. I would say that you've got to see progress. You've got to see. Um, you've got to see certain things from a coach sooner than you do necessarily from a general manager. Um, and, and also uh, when they come in at the same time, like these guys did, uh, it's going to be, the, you know, they're going to be the easier fall guy, unless the coach is some like outsized personality that, you know, that really is in charge. And that's not the case here. So, um, so that, that's, that's one, one thing I think about this. I was going to ask you though, do you think with general managers and, and, like say like teams hiring a head coach like the Rockets are about to do now. And, and, and of course, like the Texans just did. Okay. They just hired D'Amico Ryans. You know, we just mentioned Sam Cassell, you know, bringing, you know, Houston nostalgia and all of that. But do you think like coaches a, a, that are getting hired now have to like have this sort of an acceptance of the involvement of a general manager? Cause I know you read the story from the, athletic and all of the mention of and, and we know about this you you've talked about this and reported some of this but you know the involvement of Rafael Stone in a into a, some somewhat of the day-to-day uh minutia of the team and some incidents of whether it's interrupting a uh the 
film session or whatever it may be, or just kind of being hands-on and involved. Do you think, do you get the sense that that's something that's more unusual or something that coaching candidates are going to have to sort of just accept as part of the job going forward? I don't know how many GMs are interrupting practices. I, I, you know, I I can't speak to that. It does. It does not seem like it's normal. I don't think it's, you know, I don't think it's, you know, not normal for a GM to be at practice, but you know, it's some of the stuff has been a little seemingly abnormal. Um, And you read the stuff today about it, you know, it it is what it is, but that's going to be on the head coach to set boundaries. And if you are a head coach and you don't want the GM interrupting practices or, or you know doing stuff like that, then you've got to set those ground rules right away. Now, if if that is if that you know keeps you from getting hired, well then that's a problem, and that's a problem within the organization. So, you know, Rafael Stone should be comfortable, and and I get Rafael Stone wanting to be involved and wanting to be hands on because ultimately this is his job, this is his livelihood, and he wants to make sure that it's going in the direction that he sees fit. But at the other, uh, you know, but, you know, the other point is you hire a coach, let him coach. If you want to, if you want to coach the team, then hire yourself to do that job. So I do think that it's fine to be hands-on, but you've got to understand the boundaries and you've got to understand that, Hey, I'm hiring this guy to do a job. I have to trust him and let him do that job. Otherwise, what's the point? And, and I do think that, you know, whoever takes this job is probably going to have to make sure that, Hey, I need to have some free reign here and I can't have you doing what it is reported that you were doing with the last guy. Yeah, man. It's just interesting to me now that we're in sort of this information age, this analytics age where it seems like, you know, everyone probably feels like they know more than they ever have. And it's probably true. I would say like we, we can quantify things that we couldn't quantify before or just didn't know how to quantify before. And I feel like the smarter a general manager or an executive thinks they are, the more prone they might feel to be involved in some of the day-to-day stuff. Because, you know, back in the day, what did a general manager know that a coach didn't? But today, you know, the general manager has access to information that a coach probably doesn't, might not even always necessarily have time to digest. And so it's just an interesting, and so now the coach, I'm sorry, the general manager or the executive or whoever it is, feels like they know more than the coach because they're in an office somewhere or scouting or what, you know, whatever they're doing, consuming all of this information while the coach is trying to coach. And I don't know, I'm not saying that's exactly what was going on with, with Steven Silas or Raphael Stone. I'm, I'm just looking at the, you know, the relationship dynamic of it, of, you know, the, the general manager who's the boss, but also has more information and knows more than they ever have. It feels like, and, you know, it, it obviously feels like this, uh this comfort level of, sort of imposing a little bit. I also wonder, you talked about setting boundaries, if it's a matter of like hiring a coach who just, you know, would set that boundary, uh, you know, off top or like also hiring a coach who you wouldn't feel like you need to do that with. You know, like I, I wonder how much of it is that too, with Silas being a first time head coach and um, and if they got a guy who was more experienced if you, you know, if that would give Stone a reason to kind of, lay back a little bit or somebody with a pelts on the wall, like Sam Cassell or something like that. Yeah, maybe. But I mean, at the end of the day, Stone was the one who who hired Silas. So if you're going to hire him, you might as well let him do the job. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right, man. Well, look, <laughs> this is interesting, man. Let me, you know, the season ended last time we talked, they had two games left. Uh, we And we talked about them finishing the season fairly strong or, uh, or at least seeing some signs of of growth and uh, you know some some signs of maturity here and there from the team. Uh, what 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 are some of your final thoughts on the season, man? It's another it's another clunker, but now it's just at a, at a point to where we're trying to see where they uh, where they end up in this lottery, and and obviously who they hire as head coach. You know, I do think the ending was good, and I think that's one thing that you can point to. I remember this time last year, everybody being so excited about the way they finished that season, and guys were putting up numbers. But the Rockets lost all those games. I mean, you, you look at it, they had this, you know, Jalen Green and Porter and those guys, they were putting up big numbers. You know, once once they sat Eric Gordon and Dennis Schroeder and Christian Wood, and they really just let the young guys take over, they went 0-7 during that stretch. You look this year, they played all their guys, all their guys were healthy, and they won a bunch of games down the stretch. They won four out of their last five. So I do think that they go into 
um, the offseason on a high note by the way that they closed out the year. I think that that can can really uh, help them moving forward. And I, I meant to look at this because I mentioned Scott Brooks and Oklahoma City. Um, and it kind of reminds me, and <laughs> I'm going to make these stupid parallels, but I'm going to do it's It's a dumb parallel, but I'm going to make it anyways. The Thunder in 2008, 2009, their first year in Oklahoma City, and uh, they they were terrible. They were terrible that season. That was Kevin Durant's first year, and it was Russell Westbrook's rookie year. And and uh, they they fired PJ Carlissimo. Um, sorry, I'm trying to search for this. While so I'm so that would be that would be Durant's second year then, right? It was Durant's second year. It yeah. was um it was Russell Westbrook's first year. And that team finished the season 23 and 59. And this is after they started the year one in fifth, one in one in 16. They were at one point two and 24. But again, they finished the season strong. It set them up moving forward. They made another top three pick. They got James Harden. They made the playoffs the next year. Again, I am taking huge leaps right now with that. It's our podcast, Adam. We can do whatever we want, man. This is H Town Hoops. Go ahead. Go ahead, man. That is. I can sell that to my fan base. I can sit here and say, you know what? We have two guys that we think we have two foundational pieces that we think can be all-stars in the future. We're going to make another pick. Then we could get somebody who is just as foundational and and has the same type of upside uh, as the other two, as as Green and as Smith. We have all this cap space that we're going to spend. We're going to spend this money and we're going to get better that way. So we have a chance to go into next season with a completely revitalized roster all these young guys, all these seven first-round picks that we have made in the last two years, they're going to get a whole summer of work, and they're going to be better when we go into next season. It's taken a huge leap, but I do think the Rockets can go into next season, and I think they will go into next season saying, and first, and frankly, they need to go into next season saying, we can get into at least the play-in mix. Because first of all, they need to be good because their pick is controlled by Oklahoma City unless it falls into the top four, which would, you know, if you're finishing with the worst record in the league and you have a 50-50 chance, that's not a good thing. But I do think that they can sit here, and I'll be interested whenever we do hear from Rafael Stone and if we hear from Tillman Fertitta in the next couple of days, I will be very interested to hear what they feel like is a timeline for them moving forward to get into the play-in playoff mix because I don't think it is that far-fetched for them to be able to say with all the picks that they've made, with all the, the money that they have off the books, with the picks that they will have, I think that you can sit there and honestly say we have a chance to at least be in contention for the play-in next year. For sure, man. The good things I would say about the Rockets this year is that I I do feel like every player that is either for sure a part of the the core or potentially a part of the core. I feel like for the most part improved this year. I'll list them. Kevin Porter Jr. and Jalen Green and Jabari Smith. Let's just name them off top. Of course, as the number two and number three overall pick. Let's just start with him. Jabari Smith got better tremendously. The, the leap that he took from where he started to where he finished, I think is something that we've talked about before, but also something that the Rockets themselves have to feel really, really good about. Uh, Jalen Green, I thought, um, was somebody who had some struggles at times, but is for definitely a, a much better player than he was when he was drafted almost two years ago now. And then Kevin Porter Jr., we've, we've sung his praises plenty on this podcast, but someone who got better. Alperin Shingoon, another one who's we talked about the the from the beginning to the end, where things started and where things ended for him this season. Uh, and K.J. Martin. It, uh, is a, another story. Tari Eason as a rookie. You know, these are guys who I think got a lot better uh, as the season went on and, and and showed a lot of promise. And so I would say that's the positive thing. The, and the other thing that I would say that I'm not sure is negative, but it's still just sort of a question or an incomplete is that they've now drafted a player number two overall and number three overall. And you don't get to just say, hey, I'm drafting a guy who's going to be the best player on a championship team. Like, you don't get to just order that, you know, from the draft. You draft the best player that you possibly can and see how things develop and see how things go. But as things have gone, I'm not there yet of feeling like or knowing that they have a guy on this team that could be the best player on a championship team. There's no way to know that yet. They're mm-hmm. too young. They haven't played enough games, um, and, and but they also haven't done anything yet that's so 
clear and obvious that dictates and says, hey, that guy could be the best team, the best player on a championship team. Like, I feel like people felt that way about Luka Doncic a year or two into his career, where you don't necessarily have that yet with with these guys. And that's okay. You know, it's not the end of the world that that's not the case. But that would be like one of my other like wait and sees. It's like, okay, Jalen Green took a step this year, became a more physical player, a better finisher, uh, someone who goes to the free throw line a lot more, still needs to become more efficient, still needs to improve his shot. But what's the next step? What what does his growth look like, you know, in year three, you know, um, and and beyond, obviously. Um, But but that's that's where I'm at feeling like, hey, Rockets fans should be happy that they saw some growth but also feel like there's an incomplete there because it's not like it was so – obviously they were as bad as they were as a team. It's not like you've seen anything that's so overwhelming that makes you feel like, yeah, that 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 guy's going to take us to the promised land or wherever we're trying to go, which is also, I think, part of the Pray for Vic part two is is where you feel like, hey, maybe that maybe that is that guy. Yeah, for sure, and you you can see it. I mean, and that's what's important is that you can see – you can see the upside, you can see the future. And, and that's why I think that the last five games were important because you could at least see that, hey, these guys, there's something there. Like there's something brewing that could possibly turn into a great team moving forward. Now, we got a long way to go. I mean, you're, you're coming off of 22 wins. You're not just going from 22 wins to 60 and contending for a title right away. But there's something there. There is some. There is talent there. Uh, and, and again, the cap space is so important, and this summer is so important for them to get that right. Because if you misspend the cap space, then you set yourself back, and now you're really relying on on these young kids to to take the leap, which I'm sure they believe that they can. Um, and then moving forward, there is always Brooklyn to look for, and you know they're not going to get anything out of that Brooklyn pick swap this year. But they have Brooklyn's 2024 pick. It doesn't seem like the Nets are are going to to fall off anytime soon. Just we saw that team recover to make the playoffs this year. But at least they're they're kind of that possibility there. So um, all, all in all, I think they sit in a better spot today than they did this time uh, last year. But now, now, now they now they move into a new phase, and now it's about we have to actually start winning basketball games. We have to start putting wins together. We have to start playing the right way. If they can do that, then they've got a great opportunity here moving forward. But this is the hard part. The easy part is losing the games and compiling a bunch of talent. The hard part is melding that talent together and turning it into a winning basketball team. All right, man, we got to do this again before they hire a coach, man. What, what, what you want to do? Uh, off season priorities, yeah, I mean, uh, we, lot, we should lottery. probably you want, to, want, to, want to break down the play-in tournament. We can do whatever you want to do, baby. What you want we to do? probably need to do some sort of a look back at this season. Remember, we did our our, our awards at the All-Star break, or I think it was uh, at the halfway point. We can maybe do that again. But, yeah, right. well, obviously, we got we'll record before. I mean, the lottery is in, what, five, six weeks? So yeah. We'll have to record yeah. before that. Otherwise, the bosses get mad at us. Yeah, I was kidding about the lottery thing, but also, the obviously, the head coaching search is something that's going to be something that we'll – keep our eye on and monitor and, you know, follow the news, bring you the news as we get it. Um, but, but, but definitely looking back at the season, there's, there's plenty to look back on you and I, <laughs> you and I were there for Like I, I want to say this uh, since the season is over and, and for whoever listened to this podcast, if you follow these games and watch these games, the way, the way that we do, God bless you. God bless you, because I don't know. I mean, that 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 gives you some sort of dedication. You are some sort of dedicated. Uh, and also, if you don't watch all of the games and you don't follow every single moment from the Rockets and use this podcast as sort of your ability to do so. God bless you for that as well. We appreciate that. Um, and, and we'll talk to you guys soon. man. we're going to record again, uh, possibly later in the week uh, as this offseason comes up. Got the play-in coming up on Tuesday, so there'll be plenty of basketball. Um, So for Adam Spillane, Brandon Scott, Austin Mendez, handling things behind the scenes. Until next time, y'all be good.